I got studying a little while ago in the book of Philemon, and I noticed something that interested me in this little book. And we're going to, I'm not going to give you the whole story behind the book, and we won't even read all of the verses in the book because I want to use it as a place to begin tonight. I want to use it as a place to begin. In Philemon chapter, there's only one chapter, verse 1, the Bible said, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer. Now, did you notice that word? Fellow laborer. Then he will say in verse 2, And to our beloved Appia and Archippus, our fellow soldier. Notice that word. Then if you go to verse number 23, Paul will say this, There salute the Epaphras, my fellow prisoner, in Christ Jesus. Then he will mention that first fellowship again, verse 24, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. So what we've noticed in the book of Philemon is Paul mentions three sets of fellowships in this book. I'm interested in those fellowships tonight, and I want to spend a little time on one of them, and if the Lord will help me, I want to preach tonight on fellow laborers, the missionary fellowship. Now, Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Father, we sure do love you tonight. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. And we, Lord, ask you for your help. Lord, I'm unable to meet the need. Lord, I I don't have the wisdom for it. I don't have the strength for it. But, Lord, you're able to meet every need. And so I pray that the sweet Holy Ghost would work in hearts as I preach the truth. I pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And I pray you'd have your will and that you'd get glory however you'd be pleased to do it. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk about these fellowships. Paul has a different idea apparently in the Bible than you and I do often about fellowship. Normally when we mention fellowship, here's what we mean. We'll say, you know what? We're going to go have some fellowship. And what we really mean by that is we're going to go eat. Amen. That's usually what it means. We don't, it don't see, it doesn't seem like Baptist folk can fellowship without food on the table. Amen. By the way, that reminds me. I put on a little weight and I thought it was, I thought it was interesting that the preacher put me up in a hotel right across from the workout place, right across from, and I wondered if he did that on purpose and maybe he'd seen me lately. You might have the trouble I have. I got three sets of clothes. You got it like that? I've got my skinny preacher clothes, my normal preacher clothes, and my fat preacher clothes. You say, which one you got on? Do you need to ask? Amen. But uh, Paul, you know, we talk about fellowship. We're going to go eat. We're going to go do that. But Paul has a totally different idea about fellowship in the Bible than what we have. Paul's fellowship has to do with doing something simply for the glory of God. And when he talks about it, he's talking about participating. (laughs) Excuse me, participating in the work of God. Now, Paul's going to mention about five or six different fellowships in the Bible. And you can know what he's talking about because he'll take that word fellow and he'll couple it with another word. I'll give you an example. Here we have in our text the word fellow laborers. Paul's taken that word fellow, which means by association, it means union, it means companionship, it means resemblance, it means possession. It means participation. Paul puts it with laborers. And what he's talking about in this fellowship is participating in the labor.
labor of God for the glory of God. There's not a lot of folks in this fellowship, apparently, that want to labor for the Lord. Then he'll talk about, I call this a joint fellowship. He'll talk about fellow heir, fellow citizens and fellow heirs. And in that fellowship, he's telling us that when we got saved, we became citizens of the people of God, the New Jerusalem. And at the same time, we became heirs, uh, heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. I call that the mysterious fellowship because there's a lot of things I don't understand about that fellowship, but I will one of these days when I get to heaven. Then there are there is the military fellowship. We saw it here in this passage. They're called fellow soldiers, and we might get to that this week. I don't know. This is the only time I've ever preached a revival that started on Monday and skipped Tuesday and went to Wednesday. So I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but I will say this. If you'll come over to Brother Hatley's tomorrow night, you'll get sermon number two in this, okay? And then he talks about fellow prisoners. He, he mentions that in our text. I call that the manacled fellowship. You know, uh, Paul was in the prison. When he's in the prison, he couldn't do what he wanted to do, and he couldn't do what he would have done if he'd had liberty. And sometime in our Christian life, there'll be a circumstance that keeps us from doing what we want to do and keeps us from doing what we would do if we could. But that doesn't mean we can't do anything. Uh, Paul sat down. I'm going to give the whole message away. But Paul couldn't go out and preach on the street. Paul couldn't go down to the synagogue anymore and, and talk with the elders. So he just said, you know, I guess I'll just write a letter. How did that work out? That worked out pretty good. He couldn't do what he would have done, but he did what he could do while he was manacled, while he was chained. And then there is another place where Paul uses this uh, little contraction, and he turns it around a little bit. He calls someone in the book of, Philipp uh, book of Philippians a yoke fellow. Here, fellow's not at the beginning, but it's at the end. I call this the minimal fellowship, because if you'll study the Bible, there's a lot of folks in the in this uh, fellow laborers, and there's quite a few in fellow soldiers. There's a few less in fellow prisoners. All of us are fellow citizens, but there's only one in the Bible called a true yoke fellow. Now, I want to talk to you about this fellow laborers for a little while. Paul will use a word here that is, if I could put it this way, variously translated in our King James Bible. Uh, you say, why did they do that? I don't know. I just know this. They knew a lot more about it than I know. And I believe God had them put it in there just that way. You do still believe our King James Bible is the inspired, inerrant, infallible, perfect, and preserved Word of God. You do believe that, don't you? Good. Then I feel at home here tonight because that's what I believe too. And so uh, sometimes they'll use the word that's translated laborer here. It'll be used as helper in our King James Bible. Sometimes it'll be fellow helper. Sometimes it'll be fellow workers. Sometimes it'll be fellow servant. But now you think about that. Fellow laborer, fellow helper, fellow worker, fellow servant. Sounds like work, doesn't it? That sounds like anybody that's in this fellowship is going to be doing something for the cause of Christ. This don't sound like a sit-down fellowship. This sounds
sounds like a let's go to work fellowship and accomplish something for the glory of God. So I want to talk to you about this fellowship for a little while. There are three things I want you to notice. Number one, I want you to notice the diverse faces within this fellowship. There is a diversity of people involved in the fellow labors. Now we hear a lot today about diversity and everybody wants to, we've got to be tolerant. I'm not talking about that kind of diversity. I'm not talking about tolerating anything and everything in the work of God. I'm not talking about looking over sin. Are you listening now? I'm not talking about compromise. When I say diversity, I'm not saying it the way the president says it. I'm not saying it the way the Congress says it. I'm talking about there are a lot of different people involved in this fellowship of labors. And the reason I tell you that is this. You could get in it if you wanted to. You could be in this fellowship. You know, did you, ever, you know the greatest, hallelujah, I'm getting a little help right here. The greatest privilege I've ever had in my life was to be used of God. Oh, I've been a lot of places. I've seen a lot of things and done a lot of things. But I'm going to tell you there's something about knowing that the God of heaven has put His hand on you, His good hand, and used you so that somebody get saved, use you, so that somebody get help. I'm going to tell you it means something to be used of God for His honor and glory. I was preaching the other day, and and uh, I was in. I went over. I was preaching in Lakeland, Georgia, in the evening, and in the morning they were having the IFFB. I think is what they call it, the International Fellowship of Fundamental Baptists. And they asked me if I'd come over and preach in the morning. I said I could do that one morning. So I went over there and preached to a bunch of preachers that morning. You say, what'd you preach on? Oh, I preached on envy. Amen. <laughs> I preached on a wild and evil beast among the brethren named Envy. And I better be careful. I'll preach that tonight. But anyway, I preached on that. But when I got done preaching, a lady came up to me and she shook my hand and she said, uh, do you remember me? I said, no, ma'am, I'm sorry. I don't. Uh, she said, my name is Pat Carter. And when she said Pat Carter, I said, yes, I believe I do remember you. And here's what happened. I think 20, I've been preaching 33 years, 32 years. I I think 27 years ago about, I was preaching at the Grace Baptist Church in Hinesville, Georgia. And Pat Carter was a lost woman that came to the service that day and God got a hold of her heart and she repented of her sin and believed on the Lord and got saved during the invitation. She said, do you remember that when I got saved? I said, I do. I said, how are you getting along? She said, well, been a lot of years. But she said, I'm still serving God. I'm still working for the Lord. She said, I'm faithful in my church. I go soul winning. And the Lord said, see there, son, if you'll be faithful, I'll give you some fruit. I tell you, the most wonderful thing in life is to be used of God. There's nothing else like it. You say, preacher, could I be used? Well, I just give you, we won't be able to look at all these because we'd be turning the pages in our Bible till they fell off. But I want to just mention some of the people that are in this fellowship. Now we have a little list of them in verse number 24 of our text in Philemon. The first one mentioned is Marcus, then Aristarchus, Demas, and Lucas. Those are the ones mentioned here, but there are many more mentioned throughout the New Testament. I thought about these. Who was Marcus? I call Marcus. Marcus, a laborer on his way back. This is John Mark. He is the one that 
uh, left and, and really deserted Paul and Barnabas while they were on one of their missionary journeys. But somewhere when he got back home, the Holy Ghost got after him and he saw the error of his ways and he turned himself around. And later on when Barnabas and Paul were together, Barnabas said, I want to take John Mark. Paul said, no, I don't want to take him. He went back with us when we was on the journey. And you remember there was a split between them. That's how you know Paul was a Baptist and Barnabas too. They had a split. And Paul... Paul and Silas went one way, and Barnabas and John Mark went the other way. But wait a minute. Later on, Paul will say this. Bring Mark with me, for he is profitable to me in the ministry. I want to say this to you. Say, preacher, I don't know if I can do anything for God. I messed up along the way. I'm glad God is the God who will give you a second chance. He'll let you start over. Now, I know you can disqualify yourself for some things. I understand that. But there's something you can do. The devil say, well, your past is in the way. No, no, no. Your past doesn't have to be in the way. A God and the blood of Christ will wash that away and you can start over again and do something for the cause of Christ. Marcus was a laborer on his way back. Then there was Aristarchus mentioned here. I call him a laborer with backbone. You say, why do you call him that? Because the first time we ever hear about him with Paul is in the book of Acts. And they're at Ephesus. And there at Ephesus, there was a crowd that got upset it was the silversmiths because they were making idols to worship Diana. And Paul got in there and he got to preaching and those those uh, pagans started getting saved and they wouldn't buy any more idols. And that got all the silversmiths upset. So you know what the Bible said? They went looking for Paul, but they couldn't find him. You know who they found? Aristarchus and Gaius. And they laid hold on those two and dragged them in to the middle of that great host that was there and began to shout about Diana. Now, I want to ask you a question. If you surrendered to the mission field and the very first trip you took, a crowd, angry as they could be, descended upon you and dragged you out, would that kind of discourage you about missions? If you took your survey trip and you went to England and you got there and the first time you got there, a mob on the street grabbed you and dragged you through the street, you might say, you know, I may have missed the will of God here. But Aristarchus didn't do that. Because if we keep reading on in the Bible, we find him again and again at the side of Paul, and we find him here mentioned as a fellow laborer. So you say, well, preacher, I've had some difficulties. I've gone through some rough places. Aristarchus did too, but he's still in the fellowship, and you can still be in the fellowship. Then there's Luke. Now, what was Luke? He was a laborer with a vocation. Luke is mentioned. That's the Lucas that's mentioned here. You say, preacher, Demas is mentioned. I know he is. Uh, If Marcus is the one on his way back, Demas is the one who was looking back. Demas got in the fellowship, but he got to looking back at what he left behind and decided he'd rather have what he left behind than to go on with Paul. And I may talk about that again in a minute. But there is Lucas. What about Luke? He was a man with a vocation. He had a vocation. What was he? He's called the beloved physician. He was a doctor. Now, you know what's going to happen here? We're going to have a little trouble with this missionary fellowship if you say, I won't support a missionary unless he's starting churches. What's going to do with Luke? You know what Luke did? He ministered to the needs of Paul. 
I wonder if Paul would have been able to continue his ministry if Luke had not been by his side. You say, well, preacher, there's some things I don't do. I don't preach. I I can't do that. No, but you could help the man of God. You could minister to him in some way with your vocation. There's something you could do for the cause of Christ. Then there is Titus. I call him a laborer who substituted. Paul said to him, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting. Now here's what he's saying. He's saying, Titus, I could not stay. I had something else to do, so I'm leaving you there as my substitute to take my place. You could substitute for somebody. Then the Bible talks about, you know, we don't have time to go through all these. There's Tychicus. He was a laborer on his feet. You know what he was? He was a postman. That's what he was. He was a letter carrier. All he did that we read about in the New Testament was he delivered the letters that Paul had written. And here he is in the Bible. You say, well, preacher, what I do doesn't seem like a whole lot. Well, he just he just carried the mail. And he got in this list. You say, well, preacher, I just got this little, I've got this little Sunday school class. Don't seem like much. Oh, friend, you know what you are? You're a mail carrier. You go ahead and get something from God and then bring the mail down to that little Sunday school class and tell those kids that Jesus loves them. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Be a letter carrier up and down your neighborhood. Get your good track and go knock on a door and deliver the good news from a fire country. You could be a mail carrier for God. Well, there's justice. He was a laborer of the circumcision. There's a papyrus. He was a laborer on his knees. Paul said he, he labored fervently for you in prayer. You say, preacher, a lot of things I can't do. My health is such I can't go here and I can't go there. There's a lot of things I can't do. You can still pray. Amen. You can pray. You say, well, even my voice. You don't have to pray with your voice. You can pray from your heart. Amen. Have you prayed lately? Have you prayed for the man of God? Have you prayed for those that are out? You say, well, I can't go out. My health won't allow me to go knock on a door to go and do it. Now, now don't, don't, don't say it if it's not true. I remember one day I visited this lady. Her and her sister were supposed to be saved. Uh, they told me they were saved. She was, a, she was an, an, uh, a mature Christian, an elderly lady. And she told me, she informed me that when her and her sister were little, they sang at the Billy Sunday Crusades. I was impressed with that. So I tried to get her to come to church. She wouldn't come. You know what she said? She said, you know, you've got those big stairs to go into your building. And she said, you know, I'm not young anymore. And she said, it's just hard for me to get up those stairs and get in your building. I said, well, I'm sorry, sis. Maybe we could figure something out. She said, well, I just I just can't come. Well, that was the day I went by to visit her. But I happened to be going by another day. And I saw her at the neighbor's house. And you know what the neighbor had at his house? He had a great big set of stairs that went up into his front door. And I watched that dear elderly lady bounce up those stairs like she is 16 years old and go into that house. So the next time I went to see her, we had a little talk about that. She never did come. But anyway, you say, well, preacher, there's some things you can't do. Well, if there's really something you can't do, then do what you can do. Pray. Call on God. Pray for the power of God. You say, well, God didn't call me to preach. Then get in your prayer closet on Sunday morning and pray the fire of God down on the preacher. When it gets in the pulpit, pray for soft hearts that are listening. Get a hold of God in your prayer closet. You can labor on your knees. And then there's Nymphus. He's an interesting man. He was a laborer in a house. 
You know what Nymphus was? If we look the Scripture up, and I've got all these if you want to see them later, but in Colossians, he's, the Bible tells us, Paul tells us that Nymphus had a church in his house. Now, Nymphus, he didn't go out and preach on the street, or at least if he did, we don't know about it. But he did do something for God. You know what he did? He gave what he had. I, I had a missionary friend who was going to Japan. My family plays musical instruments. And uh, I pick the banjo and play some instruments. And, and uh, we're not, we're, we just enjoy doing it. And sometimes because of that, I'll get in the church and somebody will say, Preacher McBride, I got this old guitar I've been sitting in the closet. It was grandma's. I don't know what to do with it. I can't tell you a number of times this is happening. And he said, I got this old guitar. I don't know what to do with it. Can you use it? So here's what I always tell them. I say, now if you give it to me, I'm going to use it in the ministry. And if I can't use it in the ministry, I'm going to give it to some young person in the church that wants to learn how to play. So if you, I always tell them, I say, if you don't want me to give it away, then don't give it to me. Because if I can't use the mission, I'm going to give it away. So I told that one day, and this friend of mine that was going to Japan, he said, Brother McBride, he said, do you, do you ever see a hammer dulcimer? I said, no, sir, I never see one. He said, I need one. He said, I'm going to Japan. He said, on a hammer dulcimer, I can make the kind of music they're used to in Japan. I said, well, you pray. So he started praying. So I was preaching in Michigan. In, in, I'm trying to remember the name of the town in Michigan. It's up in the northern part of Michigan. And there's, a, there's just a small crowd, and I was preaching away. And right in the middle of the message, I don't think it even fit in the message, but right in the middle of the message, God put it on my heart, and I said, some of you got things in your living room covered with dust that you could give to God, and God could use them for His glory, and they wouldn't sit there wasting away covered with dust. And then I went on preaching. When I got done, this woman come to me. She just a weeping and crying. She said, Preacher McBride, you know what I got in my living room? I said, what? She said, a hammer dulcimer. She said, it's covered with dust. She said, I've got the stand that it sets on. i got the hammers that go with it. I've even got a case to put it in. She said, can you do something with it? I said, I think I... I'm going to tell you the truth. I didn't think God would give us one. I said, I think I know somebody that can use it. I found out he didn't think God would either because when I called him, he said, now, Brother McBride, don't pull my leg. I said, I'm not pulling your leg. i got a hammer dulcimer. So I gave it to him. You know what it did? He took it to Japan. A few weeks ago, well, it was last summer, I was at the church where he came out of, and they Skyped us. We preached to him in Japan, and then we was done with the service. He played songs for us on that hammer dulcimer. When they had that tsunami over there, they had food and water in a semi-truck, and they backed it up on a corner, got that food and water out, got that hammer dulcimer out, began to play music. People start gathering around. They start leading those Japanese folks to Christ. You said, preacher, what he's saying? Nymphus had a house. He said, I'll let church come to my house. I'll give my house for God. You said, I want to be a laborer. You've got something you could give for God. God. Well, then there's Archippus. He was a laborer who needed a reminder. Paul says to him over in the book of Colossae, Colossians, he says to him, Take heed to the ministry which I has received that thou fulfill it in the Lord. He said, Now, Archippus, I just want to remind you, sometimes laborers need to be reminded, don't they, about serving God. Now, I'm just trying to say this to you. There's a diversity of fellowship in this fellowship of laborers i remember quite a few years ago now i pastored a little mission work in the state of michigan i pastored in a little place called gobles and about 11 miles away was a little place called pawpaw and there was a fellow over in pawpaw who pastored 
And so we'd get together. I had my midweek service on Thursday night. And he had his midweek service on Tuesday night. Now, I grew up in the country. This fellow grew up in Buffalo, New York. One day he said to me, I was talking about picking, and he said, uh, what do you play? I said, I play the five-string. He said, what's that? I said, you know, the five-string banjo. He said, what is that? I said, you mean you never heard a five-string banjo played? He said, I never even heard there was such a thing. Then one day we was driving down the road. My pastor's a big coon hunter. He's got walker hounds. And so we are driving down the road, and I was telling him about going coon hunting. He got real quiet. He's from Buffalo, New York. He said to me, Brother Brian? I said, yeah. He said, what does a coon look like? I thought, well, he's raised in the city. Maybe he's never seen one. He said, I said, well, it's a little animal, a little bigger than a cat. It's got a long tail with rings around it. And it looks like he's got a mask around his eyes. He said, oh, then it looks like the raccoons I've seen when I was growing up. I said, yeah, looks just like that. Now, listen, I tell you that for this. He and I were just as different as night and day. But when we'd get out on that street and get to knocking doors with each other, it's like we'd known each other all our lives. One day we was walking along in Pawpaw, Michigan. We passed the Catholic Church. Brother Mike said to me, let's go in and witness to the priest. He'd been raised Catholic. I said, you're kidding. He said, no, what's the matter? You chicken? I said, I'm right behind you. So in we went. He walked up into the office. There's a lady sitting there. He said, is the priest in? She said, Father, so-and-so is not in today, but I can make an appointment. You can come back and see him. He said, no, that's all right. I, I thought we were done, so I turned to go out. Brother Mike, he started to turn, then he turned back and he said, can I ask you a question? She said, sure. He said, if you were to die today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? She said, no, I don't. He said, would you like to? She said, yes, I would. He got his Bible out and led the priest secretary to Christ right there in the office of the Catholic Church. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying this is a wonderful fellowship. This fellowship of laborers. Just go ahead and get in. You say, preacher, I can't do much. God will use you. He'll do something with you. He'll, if you'll ask Him, I believe He'll show you something to do. You say, oh, preacher, I, let me tell you about, you, you probably know Brother Larry Brown. And, and Brother Larry Brown pastors, he pastors up there in South Augusta, Georgia, and pastors a church. I guess last time I knew they ran about 2,200 people. Did you ever hear him tell about when he got saved? He got saved, and he started in church, and he said, the preacher said, now that I'm saved, you heard the preacher preach about a servant and laboring for the Lord. And so he came to the preacher, and I'd just been saved. Doesn't know anything about the Bible. He said, preacher, I want to do something for God. Well, what are you going to do with a fellow just got saved, doesn't know one thing about the Bible except John 3.16. You can't give him a Sunday school class so he said to him here's what the preacher said he said i'm gonna put you in charge of the steeple he said what do you mean he said you are in charge of the steeple when you come to church i want you to walk around the building check the steeple make sure it's sticking right straight up like it's supposed to and not leaning come in and make sure that it doesn't need to be painted and he said after you walk around and you look at the steeple you come in and give me a report so every time larry brown came to church you'd see him walking around outside looking up at the steeple making sure it's still sticking straight up making sure whether it needs to be painted if it needs any repair he'd go in and say preacher i checked the steeple 
We're in good shape. It's right where it's supposed to be. Doesn't need any paint. You said, preacher, that's a foolish job. Well, the steeple watchers pastoring 2,200 people now. I guess God said, if you be faithful watching a steeple, I can trust you with something else. I'm just saying to you, you could do something for God. You really could. There is the diverse faces in this fellowship. There's something else. That's the driving force behind this fellowship. Say, preacher, why should I get into the fellowship of laborers? Well, I noticed something in the book of Philemon. There are several things that are repeated three times. Here's one of them I'm interested in. Back in the book of Philemon, look in verse 5. Here's what Paul said. Hearing of thy love and faith. Then in verse 7, For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Verse 9, Yet for love's sake, I rather beseech thee. You know, when God says something one time, it's important. When He says it twice, you ought to pay attention. But when he mentions it three times within about six verses, he's trying to get our attention. He's trying to tell us something. What is it he's trying to tell us? Paul is telling us why these men were in the were fellow laborers. Why they were in this fellowship. Why were they in there? The only reason there is really to be in the fellowship of laborers. Love. Now, I was with a young preacher one day, and I'm not... I'm not saying this for Brother Weber's sake. This is for all of us because he's a young preacher compared to me. I'm older and dirt. But I was with a young preacher and, he, and I preached on the love of God. And when I got done, he said, I don't really care much for sermons about love. I know what he was trying to say. He said he wanted me to preach one of them fiery sermons and preach the whole crowd into hell. And you know what? Sometimes God puts that on our heart. There's something about love. You know, when Hudson Taylor was interviewing young men to find out if they were fit to be missionaries in China, he asked them why they wanted to go. Here's some of the reasons they gave. One said, I want to go because Christ has commanded us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Another one said, I want to go because millions are perishing without Christ. Another one gave this reply and that reply. When they were all done, Hudson Taylor looked at him and he said, those are all good reasons, but none of them are good enough. He said, there's only one reason to go that will keep you going no matter what happens. And that is love for Christ. You say, well, preacher, I'm going because millions are perishing. What are you going to do if you... If you go on the mission field and preach for three, four, five years and nobody gets saved, what are you going to do? Are you going to say, well, I'm not doing any good here. I'll have to quit. But you know what? Jesus will still be Jesus. And you can still love Him and care for Him. And so He said, the greatest thing is love. I noticed something's interesting in what He said here in verse 5. He said, hearing of thy love and faith. That's unusual in the Bible. Normally when love and faith are in the same verse, it's faith and love. 
But here in this passage, Paul said love and faith. Now, I'm not trying to get them out of order. I'm just saying Paul looked at Philemon and said, you know, your faith is wonderful. But he said, the thing I want to mention first, the thing I've noticed first of all, is the love that you have. Love and faith. You have to love Jesus to be in this fellowship. You have to love Him above everything else. You have to love Him more than anything else in this world. The Bible said, Jesus said, because the love of many, iniquity shall abound, because the love of many shall wax cold. That's what's happened to us today. We love everything but Jesus. One day they came to Jesus and said, what's the greatest commandment? He said, the greatest commandment is thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy soul and all thy mind. That's the number one commandment, that you love God, you love Christ. That's what will keep you in this fellowship. Nothing else will. Can I ask you a question? How come you don't love Him like you once did? You remember when you got saved? You remember when the Holy Ghost convicted you of your sin and you saw you was on your way to hell and the preacher, he preached and you got dangled over hell and you thought you was a-going and then somewhere along the line he said, but Jesus died on the cross. He died for your sin and it got a hold of your heart and all of a sudden there wasn't nothing in the world was going to keep you from Him and He was the sweetest, most precious person you'd ever known in your life. What happened to that? What happened? He loved us. Gave Himself for us. Won't love Him back. The driving force behind laboring for Him is love. I was reading this week about a young man who was in the army and he's in the trenches and his fellow uh, soldiers were dying around him and he got afraid and he decided he was going to run. He went out of the trench and went backward and ran through the night and through the night running away from the battle. Finally he found a post in the fog, there was fog on the ground. He decided he was going to climb the post. He thought it was a, he thought maybe there's a sign. He thought if he could get to the top of it, he might be able to see what, where he was and, and how to get away. And he climbed. And he climbed and the post, the post felt odd. He got to the top and the fog lifted and he was face to face with Christ. He climbed a crucifix that they had put out there out in front of a church. And as he climbed, when that fog lifted, suddenly he's hanging that crucifix of Christ. And he's looking at Him in the face. And he realized the price that Christ had paid for him. And he climbed down off of that cross and he ran back and jumped in the trench and said, I'll fight. I'll give my life. Now, I'm not for crucifixes. I know Christ isn't on the cross anymore. But it seems we've forgotten what He did for us. It seems we've forgotten the price that He paid. There's no one and nothing in this world that we ought to love more than Him. Remember what James said? He said, "Ye adulterers, and adulteresses, know you not that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore is a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Why did he use that analogy? Why did he use that metaphor? Uh, backsliding as adulterers and adulteresses. Now, I'm, I'm careful here. I'm careful. But I, I think about this. A fella and a girl, they get married and things go along. And all of a sudden, he gets to looking around at somebody else. And as he looks at someone else, his love for his bride begins to wax cold. And all of a sudden, that love relationship is not what it used to be we see it happening all around us but I'm telling you we see it happening in the house of God those that used to love him were on fire would do anything for the cause of Christ they've fallen in love with the world 
Last week, we were on the radio trying to raise money to keep the radio on, on the air. And it was, uh, it was Friday. And a preacher came in. People will call in and they'll say, I, I want to give pledge this much or I'll pay this much. Sometimes people don't have any money. So they bring in something. And they give it to the radio. And then the announcers get on and they say, well, we've had this. They call it a redeemable item. We've had this. I thought of this tonight when our brother, when I shook our brother's hand with the Harley Davidson shirt on. One of the preachers came and he said, Pastor, I've brought my Isaac to give to the radio station. It's a motorcycle. He said, I was praying and asking the Lord if there's anything that was stealing my affection, anything that I, I wouldn't give up if he asked me to. And God said, what about that bike? So I said, I rode her up here. That's right down there. I said, I love God more than anything. Now, I will tell you this. You know what happened? His folks found out about it. They bought it and gave it back to him. He said, well, preacher, I don't know. If, well, isn't that what God did with Isaac? That's exactly what he did. That's exactly what he did. I'm just saying to you, is there anything? Are there children that you love more than him? Is there a job that you love more than him? Is there a house that you love more than him? Is there some security that you love more than him? The driving force behind this fellowship is love. They're in love with somebody. I tell you what love, you know what love will do? I got an outline here, but I ain't paying attention to it. You know what love will do? Love will make you do strange things. I led this boy to Christ. He called me. I was laying under my motorhome. If you have a motorhome, you spend a lot of time laying under it. I was trying to get the thing running right. He called me. said, I'm in a mess. I sa- he said, are you home? I said, I'm home. I just happened to be home. I have to take a little time off from the trip to work on the motorhome. He said, can you meet me at church? I said, okay. So I met him at church. I opened up the door. He ran to the altar. I say I led him to Christ. I didn't really have a whole lot to do with it. He is under such conviction. He went to calling out to God. He got saved on that altar. He divorced from his wife. So one day about, I don't know, maybe, maybe a, it might have been three weeks or a month later, he calls me. He said, Brother Brian. I said, yeah. He said, would you like to buy a gun? He's a gun nut. I said, what kind of gun? He said, I got this real nice Ruger 22. It's a Western style. I think it's a Ruger. He said, it's real nice. I want to sell it. I said, well, how much you want? He told me how much he wanted. I didn't really have that much and really didn't have a need for it. I said, well, I don't know. He said, I really need to sell it. I said, what do you want to sell it for? He said, well, you know, I'm trying to get things straightened out with my wife. I said, yeah. He said, my wife always used to say that she, that she, was, that she always dreamed of a knight in shining armor. I said, yeah. He said, I found a suit of armor. I said, what? 
He said, I found a suit of armor, $126. I can buy the whole suit. I said, what are you going to do with it? He said, I'm going to put that suit of armor on. I'm going to get a dozen roses. I'm going to go down the bank where she works and walk in and hand her those roses. He said, I'm going to be the knight in shining armor that she's always wanted. You say, preacher, that's crazy. No, that's love. That's what love is. I'm telling you, it used to be uh, amongst God's people. There wasn't anything too much for us to do because we loved Him. We wouldn't care what people said. We wouldn't care what they thought. All we cared about was that Jesus loved us and saved our souls and we was in love with Him. What happened to that love? The reason we don't labor is we don't love. And if we loved, we'd labor. Let me say one more thing to you. I've got a few things I'm going to just go over, but I want you to see this last thing. There is the diverse faces. There are the diverse faces involved in this fellowship and the driving force behind it. But I'm interested tonight in the delightful fragrance that surrounds this love. Now, Paul is in Rome. He's in the prison. If I've studied out these prisons, I believe Paul was in prison at least twice. There was one prison Paul was in that was like a hired house, and he had a soldier that watched him. I don't believe the first prison was like that. I may talk about that later. I believe the first prison was more like a hole in the ground and is a terrible place. It was a place where you would, if you were chained, you'd have to sit in your own waist unless you had somebody that you could pay to come and clean it up because you couldn't move do anything about it. I don't know how long a chain Paul was on. But if you can think of a filthy, obnoxious smelling hole, I believe that's what Paul was in. And he's in Rome. And Philemon is way over yonder in Colossae. He's way over here. And Paul writes a letter to him. Sends it to him. Here's what he says in the letter. He says in verse 7, For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the vows of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Now think about what Paul just said. Paul is a long, long, long ways away from Philemon. But Paul said, I had great joy. And consolation when I heard what you were doing. I look at it like this. What Philemon was doing out of love way over yonder here sent a sweet smelling fragrance that went all the way to Paul way over here in that Roman prison. And if I could just use a, a metaphor and analogy, I can see Paul saying, That love. That love. You know what he'll say later about Epaphras? He said, we, we've we received what Epaphras bought. He said, a sweet-smelling odor, that sacrifice. And you remember when what the Bible said in Ephesians about Jesus? said He offered Himself up a savor, a sweet savor unto God. When Jesus died on the cross, God the Father leaned over the battlements of heaven and went, 
that smells sweet. Oh, that's a good smell. That's what Paul's doing down in the prison. He's surrounded by filth. But he goes, Oh, when I hear about Philemon's love, it's such a fragrance. Do you understand tonight that if you and I would just say, Lord, I'm going to work for you because I love you. I'm going to do something for you because I love you. Boy, there'll be somebody somewhere that in their heart will go, Oh, that's a sweet smell. I believe it'll be fragrant to God. Amen. You know, the Bible said in Isaiah 53 about the Lord and about Christ, it hath pleased the Lord to bruise him. The mortar and the pestle. Put it in that, that medicine, a little bowl, and grind it. And as you grind it, that sweet-smelling savor and that healing property comes out. So when they were grinding Christ on the, on the cross, that sweet-smelling savor came up. You say, well, preacher, sometimes labor is difficult. And sometimes I get tired. That's okay. Just labor on even when you're tired. Labor on even when you're discouraged. Labor on even when you can't see how it's going to work. And you know what I believe it'll be? I believe it'll be a sweet-smelling savor unto God and unto other Christians that will make them want to serve too. One day, a man was walking on Church Street in Sydney, Australia. And as he walked along, he'd sailor on a ship and they docked and he'd been drinking. And as he walked along, a little white-haired man jumped out in front of him, put a track in his face and said, Sir, if you died tonight, do you know you'd go to heaven? And then he ducked back in the door. The man had the track. He said, I was so shocked by it. Nobody had ever asked me that before. Nobody had ever given me one of these before. He said, I was so shocked. He said, I went back to the ship and I found the chaplain. And said to the chaplain, can you explain what this is? And the chaplain led him through the, through the track. And the chaplain led him to Christ. Later on, the man surrendered to preach. And he was preaching and a lady came to the altar. She wanted to, she just wanted to pray for some folk. And afterwards, she invited the preacher to come to the house with her family. As they sat across the table, he said, sister, tell me how you got saved. She said, it's the strangest thing. I was walking down the street in Church Street in Sydney, Australia. And a little white-haired man jumped out of a door and put a track in my face and said, if you died today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? And then ducked back in the door. She said, I'd been raised in church, but I didn't know I was saving it. It bothered me so bad. I went home and talked to my pastor, and he led me to Christ. That preacher was traveling. He was preaching. He went. I wrote down some places that he went. He traveled around. He went to uh, he went to England to speak at the Keswick Convention and uh, in the Lake District. And he mentioned the testimony about the white-haired man on George Street. And at the end, four elderly pastors came to him and said, "We got saved over 25 years ago through that same white-haired man on George Street." 
He flew to the Caribbean for another Keswick conference and again told how he and others got saved through the work of this man. And uh, three missionaries came to him after the message and said, we also got saved over 15 years ago through that same man on George Street. He went to Atlanta, Georgia and spoke at a chaplain's convention and afterward the chaplain general came to him and he said to him, he said, I, he asked him about being saved. He said, oh, it was a miracle. I'd been a sailor and we docked in Sydney and I was walking down Church Street and a man jumped out from a door, a little white-haired man, and put a track in my face and said, if you died today, you know, for sure you'd go to heaven. And he got saved and he said, now I'm over, I'm, I'm the head chaplain, the general chaplain, over a thousand chaplains. He said, we're on fire. We're winning people to Christ all over the place. Again and again he went. Finally one day he was in Sydney. And he said to the pastor he was with, he said, uh, do you know anything about a little white-haired man that lives on Church Street? The preacher said, oh yes, I know him. His name is Frank Jenner. He said, everywhere I go I've been hearing about people being saved. He said, well, Brother Jenner is old now and he's not able to do like he did, but He's passed out a lot of tracks. He said, could we go see him? So he went to Frank Jenner's house and he let them in. and He sat them down around some tea, began to talk to them. The preacher said, Mr. Jenner, everywhere I go, I'm finding people that have been saved because you handed them a track. And they've gone on to be the mission field and to pastor and people have been saved all over the place. Mr. Jenner sat there and listened with tears in his eyes. Here's what he said. He said, I was a reprobate sailor on an Australian battleship. In a crisis, one of my mates, a Christian, whom I ridiculed at many times, led me to Jesus. He said, I was so grateful that I promised Jesus I'd witness for him to at least ten people every day. He said, I've done this for 40 years. And then he said this. He said, this is the first time I ever heard of anybody being saved as a result of it. The preacher began to add and count all the people he talked to and the people they talked about. He said, by my reckoning, there will be at least 165,000 people in heaven. Because for 40 years... Frank Jenner stepped out of a door, handed somebody a track, and said, if you died today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? you know what happens to us? We go out one day and pass out tracks, and nobody gets saved, and we give up. He went 40 years and never knew that anybody got saved. But people were getting saved all over. I'm trying to say to you tonight, there was a fragrance from that little white-haired man's love for Jesus that has stretched all over the globe. Say, so, preacher, God couldn't use me like that. Why not? Why not? Why not? He didn't have some outstanding talent, some outstanding ability. He was not some intellectual giant. He, was, he just loved Jesus and was thankful and did what he could. He was in the fellowship of laborers. And you could be too.